0: You're listening to the Rise Parenting Podcast, a resource for parents before kids, during pregnancy, and through the elementary years. I'm your host, Rachel Rubenstein. So as the mother of a now seven-month-old, I cannot believe I just said that, I cannot believe I have a seven-month-old, but sleep is, of course, a big topic. It's interesting how often people ask how we're sleeping, how I'm sleeping, how he's sleeping. We talk about this in the podcast, but it's true, your sleep is so different once you're a parent. So we were fortunate that when Mason came into our lives, he loved to sleep and we would all sleep and sleep in and of course it was interrupted, but we slept. And then the four month sleep regression hit and it was different. He was up every hour and since then, even as a seven month old, he is up consistently like every two hours. So. Sleep is something that comes up all the time with me and my husband, what we should do, how we should navigate it, and it's definitely been a journey. I've spent so much time researching sleep and trying to figure out what is the best option for our family, so I was really grateful to have Rachel on the podcast today. Rachel Shepard Oda from Hey Sleepy Baby is a baby-led sleep specialist. Together in this episode, we focused on her approach to sleep, which really just normalizes infant sleep. We covered a lot in this episode, including bed sharing, night weaning, and extending naps. Thank you to those of you who wrote in questions off of Instagram. Um, We did our best to get to all of those and answer them at the end of the show. I got so much out of today's episode, and I hope you will as well. As always, thank you so much for subscribing and sharing the podcast. I hope you enjoy our conversation on sleep. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you today. Thank you so much for being here, Rachel. Can you take a minute and introduce yourself? Sure. So my name is Rachel Shepardota. I am a mom
1: of two. I have a two and a half year old and an almost six month old. Um, I'm from San Francisco, and um, I just became an official baby-led sleep and well-being specialist. Um, and before that, I was an elementary special ed teacher uh, for the last nine years or so. So I've always kind of worked with kids, but Um, Since having my babies, my kind of focus has shifted to the parenting realm more so than the education realm.
0: Yeah. And so was it your own experience with your little ones and their sleep that led you down this road?
1: Yes, it was. Um, My son, my first baby was what I thought was a terrible sleeper. Now looking back, knowing what I know through my certification, he was actually quite a normal sleeper. But you know, the sleep culture right now just makes moms feel like their babies have to be sleeping through the night and have to sleep in the crib by themselves. And so I was just so stressed out and overwhelmed by all of that. And then when I was pregnant with my daughter, I had kind of been thinking about a career change. I was just kind of, you know, in one of those pregnancy insomnia nights at like 3am kind of looking up sleep stuff because I was so worried about being sleep deprived again. Um, And I stumbled across, across my program, Isla Grace, and started kind of going down the rabbit hole of all of her sleep coaches and just kind of decided to pull the trigger right then and switch my career and enroll in the certification program. So I started when, um, when my daughter was about a month old and kind of right when the pandemic was hitting, Mm. (laughs) which was kind of crazy, but yeah. So kind of my own experience with sleep and with just the whole culture around sleep, I really wanted to do something that was going to help other moms um, to not go through the
0: hardships that I went through with my family. Yeah and it, it's so interesting. I feel like when I was pregnant the question I always got was how are you feeling? And yes. then after I had the baby it was always how are you sleeping or how is his sleep. And yes. I feel with some people I'm exaggerating one way or exaggerating the other way. You know like if it's a right. mom, it's like oh well you know like totally. Was up four times or whatever and then if it's like specifically like an older person I'm like oh you know we're sleeping great. I don't know what that yeah. is like I can't just first of all, acknowledge that it's such a weird question to be asking Yeah, and that every night is different. <laughs>
1: right. Of course. And the other funny thing to me is just how much emphasis we placed on it with new moms. And like, it's such a cultural thing. Like in other parts of the world, it's just not thought about so much and obsessed over. And I think that it's just like in this self-perpetuating cycle where we live, where there's just so much information out there that I think people just overthink everything about it and just have these really mixed up ideas of what it should look like and what
0: it should be. I think that's parenting in general right now, yeah. but specifically yep. sleep. And it's, it's so interesting because my son was just a great sleeper right from oh, the get-go until the four-month sleep regression. And oh, yeah. then you know, things just changed. Mm-hmm. So he yep. still sleeps. But it's different.
1: <laughs> yeah. So many parents say that where they bring the baby home from the hospital and they're like a dream sleeper and then they think they're, you know, set up golden. And then the, the four month sleep regression hits. And for some babies, it happens even earlier. For my son, he was closer to three months. Um, and then all of a sudden, it's like you have a different baby and it feels like it takes forever to get back on track. If you ever do, some babies just don't really ever go back to doing one of those big long stretches at night. So yeah. every baby is so different too. Even siblings you know, my son and my daughter are totally different sleepers, even though they have the same parents, the same, you know, nursery setup, everything is exactly the same. It's just yeah. depending on their temperament
0: and their sensory profile and so many different things. Yeah. So, And so there's so many different ways to address sleep, right? And, mm-hmm. um, I believe with everything when it comes to parenting, that no one size fits all. And every parent is doing the best they can with the information they have. And I truly Absolutely. believe that. Yes, um, I do but there too. are different methods. And can you speak to a few of the popular like sleep training methods?
1: Yeah. So when I um, had my son, like I said, I was really struggling with him because I just didn't understand what you know, normal sleep was supposed to look like. So I thought we had really big problems because he was waking up a few times every night to, to feed. And so I did a couple different sleep training methods. I read, first of all, I read like nine different books. I read, um, the first one I read was 12 hours by 12 weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think is like maybe the number one best-selling baby sleep book on Amazon. It was wow. for a while, which is, <laughs> you know, these parents just look up anything that they think is going to help them get sleep. And I was one of them. I was there. And you see this book that promises you're going to have a baby that sleeps through the night by the time they're three months old. And, you know, it's got hundreds of positive reviews and all these testimonials. So you think, oh, this is great. And then when it doesn't work for you, you feel like there's something wrong with you. So I tried that one that didn't work. (laughs) I tried Um, another, uh, very popular, like kind of famous celebrity sleep coach. Um, and I bought her guide. Um, it was like a PDF and there were some videos too. And that one was more of a traditional sleep training method. So not necessarily full ferberizing, which is leaving your baby to kind of cry it out. Um, Mm -hmm. sometimes with checks, sometimes not. Um, but her program did, uh, five months or six months, I think, start to say that babies were ready to be sleep trained, which basically just means that, you know, you're putting your baby down to sleep in a crib and doing your little bedtime routine, You leave the room. If they cry, you either, there are a couple of different variations of this and lots of people have now made their own versions. Basically, there's kind of two schools of thought where you just leave the baby to cry for as long as it takes for them to stop. And then another kind of variation of that is that you let them cry for maybe two minutes, go in and check. Next time they might cry for three or four minutes, then you go in and check. So you're kind of increasing that, that time in between the checks. So that's kind of the more traditional like cry it out um, method that you hear, that most people think of when they mm-hmm. hear the word sleep training. Um, and then there are a couple others like the sleep lady shuffle I know is a really popular one. Where parents start out in a chair right by baby's crib and try to support them to sleep that way. And then each night, the parent moves further and further away from the crib until they're in the hallway. And I think that takes a week or two to kind of fully get through that plan. And then other techniques just kind of are variations of those. Um, There's like the pick up, put down method where you're letting baby cry for a certain amount of time before you pick them up and offer them comfort, and then you put them right back down. So, you know, you can do that many, many times um, before baby finally kind of gives up and goes to sleep. So really all of these methods, you know, I tried them and for my family, they didn't work. But I do like what you say that, like, I really feel like every parent is just consuming as much information as they can handle. And whatever resonates with them is what they're going to try. And I think that, you know, everybody's just kind of making... Their own best decision that they can, and I think that there's a lot of misinformation around sleep training, and a lot of studies that have come out that have kind of misled parents. So that part can be can be hard too, because I think parents just have so much conflicting information right now, and so it can feel impossible to make whatever they think the right choice is, even if they have all the information. Um, it can be really hard to decipher it all. So. Mm-hmm.
0: Definitely. So how does your approach differ or can you summarize your approach to infant sleep?
1: Yeah. So the baby led sleep and wellbeing specialist program, we, as far as I know, are the only sleep trainers that don't use any form of sleep training. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of programs now, I think there's starting to be this shift, right? To like gentle parenting, attachment parenting, responsive parenting, like all of those things are really I don't want to say trendy, but um, they're becoming more popular and more well-known. So I think uh, sleep coaches are kind of shifting gears and going to more of that gentle route, which I think is great. Some of those techniques still do incorporate some sleep training. Um, So the idea that baby can be trained or taught to sleep. And I think my approach differs because we I don't believe that babies need or can be taught to sleep I think that they can be taught to stop signaling for us so you know babies aren't really capable of this like self soothing that is often talked about with sleep trainers they're not able to regulate their own emotions they're not able to regulate their own nervous systems they rely really really heavily on their parents for co-regulation so the idea that letting them cry is teaching them to self-soothe actually isn't true. So what I try to do is teach parents how to co-regulate with their babies and how to make changes in a really gentle and slow and respectful way and at a developmentally appropriate time. Mm -hmm. So not expecting a four month old baby to sleep through the night and stop uh, nursing throughout the night. Mm -hmm. Um, so really I mean that's why it's called baby led it's it's not necessarily like oh we're just gonna do whatever the baby feels like and like if they're horrible sleepers that are waking up 12 times a night it's just you know we're gonna wait it out we're gonna go with it that's not what it is there's still lots of ways and lots of strategies that we can put into place for helping baby start to link sleep cycles and build in better sleep associations and things like that but also just being really realistic with our expectations and knowing that normal infant sleep can look very different across different babies and across different families. And while we do want to expect babies to be able to sleep in a way that's going to give them rest and relaxation and give the parents time to themselves and all of that, we also want to support that babies most often do need to feed throughout the night. They do really, really need close contact with their parents to feel safe and secure in that attachment and just respecting that. hmm
0: Yeah. So when you're working with a family, it's probably pretty different family to family what you're implementing then.
1: Yeah. So some families have a newborn and they're kind of just wanting like a sleep education. They're wanting to know what to expect, how to Mm -hmm. set up their sleep space, how to set up their crib. I do talk with a lot of families um, because I tend to get clients that are interested in bed sharing and Mm -hmm. co-sleeping. And there are lots of ways to teach families how to do that safely, um, it can be really effective uh, for both mom and baby to get more sleep. We, I have clients of newborns that talk about things like that. And then older babies that are stuck in patterns. Um, I just talked to a mom yesterday who um, had a nine-month-old and her baby had a lot of issues going on with um, like breathing and tongue ties and things like that. And so mom had had to hold baby for every single nap and throughout the night. Every single day for her entire nine months of life, and so mom was really just kind of at a breaking point and was really exhausted. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we kind of talked through some some strategies that she could use to start to shift those patterns. And then I also work with families of toddlers who are doing things like transitioning from a crib to a bed, or um, you know maybe there's a new sibling and they want to talk through how to bring new baby home. So I offer support not just with sleep but with you know behavior and attachment and things like that too. And talking with families about how to make transitions for siblings that are going to start to share a room or going on a trip or traveling, how to um, implement good sleep strategies and habits for things like that. So so it really kind of varies from family to family. Like you said, everybody has different needs and what works for one family might drive another family crazy. Definitely. Yeah. So it's really individualized, which I also think. Is a little bit different than other sleep coaches and other sleep plans. Is I don't offer any like guides for download or anything like that just because it is so individualized and there could be so many different reasons for a baby not sleeping well. That a a pre made guide or plan may be a good starting place for somebody, but um, really doesn't dive deep enough, in
0: my opinion. Definitely. I heard Isla Grace one time say something about how did you say it? Like, there's no issues with sleep unless it's an issue for you and your family.
1: Exactly. So like one family might have their baby going to bed at 9pm and sleeping until 8 or 9am the next day because mom or dad work late hours and that's the only way that they'll get to see their baby. So they have Mm -hmm. to shift their whole pattern. And then another family might say, oh my God, like I just need my baby to be able to go to sleep at six or seven so that I can do all these other things I need to do. And, you know, the co-sleeping and bed sharing and crib sleep and stuff like that. That's all so individualized to each family
0: too. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. I feel like bed sharing is one of the most polarizing issues around mm-hmm. sleep. How do you see that conversation going or kind of where, where is your education coming from around that?
1: Yeah. So I, um, it comes from personal experience and from what I've been taught, you know, my son in the first few months had a tongue tie. Um, so I didn't really know what that was, but it really affected his sleep. Um, He also had reflux, so he couldn't lay down flat. It was really painful for him. So long story short, I ended up holding him in kind of like a reclined position on my chest for most sleep in our bed for the first like three months or so. Mm. And now looking back, I'm like, oh my God, that was so unsafe. Like I should have just learned how to bed share safely so that he could have that comfort of me right there. And we wouldn't have so many wakings. And I think that's what happens with a lot of parents. It's estimated that over 65% of moms end up bed sharing at least some of the time, even ones that don't plan on it. So even moms that think like, oh, bed sharing weird. That's just for like attachment parents. And I'm not like that. Or bed sharing is too scary. I don't want to have my baby in bed with me. You know, out of all of those moms, still 65% end up doing it just out of sheer exhaustion and desperation. And so I think it's really important to provide this education to families that yes, you can bedshare safely. It's actually the biological norm. We are meant to bedshare with our babies, and really, if done correctly, it's the safest place for them to be. So I'm becoming very passionate about it, especially since now I'm bedsharing with my daughter. We've been like traveling, and you know, my husband's been like in and out of work throughout the whole pandemic thing. So we've just had we sold our house. So we've had like so many changes in the last few months. So you know, for a bunch of different reasons, it's just been so much easier for me to, to bed share with her. And so now like, I really also firsthand see the benefits of it. I'm so much more rested than I felt with my son. And it's weird because I have two kids now, like I should be way more exhausted, but yeah. So I'm just, I really think that there's not enough education around how to do it safely and what the risks are and what the benefits are. And yeah, I think that like hospitals and doctors really kind of discourage it. Yeah. Um, and so parents feel either scared to try it or ashamed to admit that they do it
0: and that can lead to some unsafe practices. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. we were, we were bed sharing with our baby until six weeks is when we first saw our pediatrician cause we had a home birth. And so when mm-hmm. we told the pediatrician that we were bed sharing and we see a very alternative pediatrician and I thought she'd be like, Oh great. <laughs> she was like, yeah. Oh, mm you know oh, no. and kind of um, tried to educate us and did bring up things about safe sleep that I didn't know yet so right. I was glad to have some of that information but it came at me in a very scary way yeah so then and judgmental. There were, yeah, there were many nights where I was then in fear of having him in bed or having him out of yeah. there so it was just like this yeah, I couldn't find what was right and um, it's just been a journey and I think, you know, learning how to sleep safely is so important. And for us, it, it changed very quickly. Our son is very mobile. He's six months and crawling and pulling up. And so Mm -hmm. we quickly had to get rails on the bed because there was a night where he just rolled right out. And I, I I was much more shaken up than him. Yes. He was fine after I picked him up. Whereas I had a day of just like, (laughs) (laughs) of course. Oh my God. That'd be terrifying. So terrifying. But you know, like we should have been more proactive in kind of putting up those methods because we had what was safe when he was immobile, but once he was mobile, it was no longer safe. It's totally um, different,
1: yeah. Yeah, my husband is actually like not even sleeping in bed with us right now because we are at my parents' house and we're in a queen. And my daughter is like your, your son only about six months, but she's starting to like roll back and forth and mm-hmm. kick a ton. And he's just like, I can't do this. I'm out. So <laughs> until we go back home and have our King bed again, it's just her and I, but yeah, when they start to move around, it's really funny. But I also feel a little more comfortable with her in the bed with me now than when I, than when she was really teeny. So, cause yeah, I know that they're she, able to
0: kind of move and pick their head. Yeah, out, just she, feel- Exactly.
1: It feels much, much safer to me, even though, I mean, if you set it up right, a newborn straight home from the hospital can bed share with you. It's yeah. Yeah.
0: Do you have resources that someone could find um, that you'd recommend to figure out what a safe sleep situation is? Yes. So, um,
1: on my Instagram, I have a whole highlight saved. Um, it's called bed sharing. Mm -hmm. Um, and I share a lot of different resources and studies on there. And then my favorite books about this are safe infant sleep, by James McKenna, and so he is a professor. He has um, the only lab in the world, I believe, that has um, that does studies with mom and baby dyads in beds. Um, and so he's really just like the leading expert on bed sharing and co-sleeping. So his be- his book is amazing. So, so that's called Safe Infant Sleep. And then also La Leche League, um, their book called Sweet Sleep is another really good one that talks about. Um, it's a a book mostly geared towards breastfeeding, but it talks a lot about, um, breastfeeding through the night and, and co-sleeping and, and all of that. So those would be definitely my top two books. Safe Sleep by La J. is much longer. <laughs> it's a really thick book. Mm. So I would probably start with James McKenna's book. And he has like tons of scientific research and studies and talks a lot about, you know, the anthropology behind mom and baby sleep and, and the history of it. And, goes into kind of debunking a lot of studies and, um, and misinformation that's out there about co-sleeping. Um, so it's, for me, it was a good one to kind of introduce my husband to, because he was very nervous about the bed sharing. And I think a lot of information out there is like, you know, it's going to cause SIDS or you're going to roll over onto your baby. So McKenna's book talks a lot about putting those fears at at bay, because if you're setting it up correctly, the chances of those things are actually extremely low. Um, and he gives lots of statistics. So I think that's a really good one.
0: Great. Thank you. Yeah. That kind of leads me to another question around weaning and night feeding specifically because there was a lot of question around number of feeds during night or weaning Mm
1: -hmm. while
0: bed sharing and just the, the challenge of, Keeping yeah. your boobs away when yeah. baby's right there crawling at out. you, right? I feel that.
1: So <laughs> real right now. Um, yeah. And I mean, it's kind of like a pro and a con to, best fe- to breastfeeding and to bed sharing, which is that, you know, on one hand, you're available to your baby all night. It really helps keep your supply up and you don't have to get out of bed or go to a different room to breastfeed. So That I think is one thing that I really love about bed sharing. It's also something that is annoying about bed sharing is that like, you feel like you're just always available and it's like, well, she fed like two or three times in the night. Would she have done that many if she was sleeping in a crib by herself? Or is it just because I'm right there? Mm -hmm. So I, I definitely know how that can be tricky. I would definitely refer out to a lactation consultant on each individual baby's needs for feeding. On the whole, I would say until about a year, I wouldn't suggest weaning, but you can start to kind of nudge some of those behaviors if you really know that baby isn't hungry and if you're not worried at all about your supply. So if babies wake, if babies like 10 months, for example, and waking anywhere more than like four or five times a night. I would consider that to be kind of a lot like that's probably not all out of hunger it's probably some of them are out of comfort and comfort is a valid need like our babies are wired to seek us out for comfort and one of mm-hmm. the ways that they do that is through breastfeeding so i always tell moms like unless it's like we said before unless it's something that's really not working for you there's no need to change it so if your baby's waking five times a night and you don't mind getting up to feed them or rolling over and feeding them, like you don't need to change anything. That's fine. It's normal. If it's starting to affect your mental health or, you know, the the sleep deprivation is really getting to you or for whatever reason you feel like you want to make a change, I would sometimes recommend maybe doing, um, so if you're not bed sharing, you could start trying to do a dream feed and seeing if that can elongate the first sleep stretch of the night um and a dream feed basically just means that you're going in and feeding baby while they're still kind of passed out so that you know that their belly is full and they're not necessarily waking up out of habit and then if you are bed sharing i mean you still could try a, be- a dream feed if you're bed sharing but if you wanted to start cutting back on those feeds you would maybe want to start with the first one of the night or the last one of the night so that baby's not going too many hours in between feeds and so that's where sleep associations come in really handy For most young babies, mom is the strongest sleep association. So mom's warmth, her breast, just her physical proximity is what really helps babies regulate and get get to sleep. Um, But you can introduce other sleep associations that you start to use in lieu of offering the breast every time. So things like rubbing babies back, singing a song, motion, so like rocking or bouncing or swaying, all of those things can be used. First, and then if they really seem upset, then you can offer the feed and see if they're truly hungry.
0: Yeah. When we went back to the pediatrician about four months, she wanted us to sleep train. Um, mm-hmm. And I understand, you know, she really believes in the health benefits of sleep. And I yeah. don't deny that at all. But mm-hmm. I also, from what I understand and have read, is that infant sleep is very different than adult sleep. And even exactly. adults rouse during the night and we just exactly. go back into a night sleep cycle. And so, yep you know, with him waking several times a night and all it takes is me rolling over and giving him the boob to go back down versus mm-hmm. me getting up and bouncing him for 20 minutes and trying to set him back down or letting him cry. Like that's yeah. so much more taxing on our whole family. So it's so much for more us, work. it just didn't work.
1: Yeah. And that's where I say like, even though like when you only have one baby, like I look back to thinking and like, I thought it was so hard at the time. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> like having a baby totally rocked my world. But looking back now, like if I had a rough night with him, I could kind of just chill in bed all day and like nap with him and, you know, just watch TV while he cluster feeds or whatever. Cause you know, it was just him and I, but I was still so exhausted all the time. And now that I'm bed sharing, even though during the day I am taking care of a baby and a toddler and, you know, they're both home with me full time because of COVID I feel way more energized. And I think, you know, the main difference is that we're bed sharing and that I'm not having to spend a couple hours over the course of the night getting up and feeding and trying to get him back to sleep. And Oh shit. Like I just, Oh, sorry. Um, (laughs) I just put him down in the crib and now he's awake again. So I have to start the whole thing all over again. So with bed sharing, very rarely do I have a night where I'm up for more than a couple of minutes. Like if the baby's gassy or something like that, she might yeah. be upset and I'll need to actually get up and kind of soothe her back down. But yeah, yeah, for the most part, it feels much easier and more sustainable for me, at least for now.
0: Same. Yeah. yeah. I was getting to the point where I couldn't even remember when I got up or what I did mm-hmm. and then there was a few times where I like fell asleep sitting in the bed with him which was like not a safe sleep, sleeping situation yeah. so it just um it, at first it kind of felt like a a giving up and then I was like no actually like this is what felt natural to me all along and I was oh, trying yeah. to to push someone else's agenda and you know I I have many people who and my husband really focuses on the success stories we've heard about sleep training. People are like, Oh, it's so hard until we sleep trained. And right. So I understand that. Um, and I think, you know, given our experience wasn't that it was so hard from the beginning, we weren't at a point of desperation with this. Mm -hmm. Um, but what I then tried to highlight to him is like, well, we're not hearing all the success stories with not sleep training because it's, it's just our culture where we, talk about what's hard, not what was right. easy. Um, and right. so, you know, specifically I've been trying to find for him the success stories of bed sharing, because on the flip side of that, his concern is that, you know, our baby will be really attached and need to basically be sleeping in the bed with us until he's like school age.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I hear this all the time. And same for me. Like we had friends that would say, Oh, like we sleep trained at four months and you know, the first two nights really sucked. And then they slept through the night on the third night and it was fine. And when I was going through my certification program, Lauren, um, the founder of Isla Grace would say, okay, so sleep training might work for some families, but at what cost? So the cost is that your baby's learning to not cue for you. And they're learning that if they cry, they're on their own and you're not going to come anyway. So what's the point? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of, you know, and a- again, every family is different. And for people that are, you know, for like a single mom, for example, that's completely sleep deprived and has, feels like she has no other option, but to sleep train. And that's what she needs to do for her mental health. Like I don't ever want to come from a place of judgment. It's just, I want people to understand that there are, that there are other options. Cause I think Like for me, I just thought it was either sleep training or just continue suffering.
0: One of the things that I feel is kind of consistent from what I've seen through different sleep training methods, and I wonder if this would be the same for like the baby led sleep is consistency. So Mm -hmm. doing the same thing in the same way, majority of the time. Mm -hmm. Can you speak to that?
1: I used to be a special ed teacher. So like routine and predictability and schedules are like my jam. Yeah. Um, so we have been on, like I said, our last six months, I think like everybody have been kind of crazy and like definitely not the norm. So we haven't been as um strict, I guess you would say. But with my son, we started his bedtime routine when he was like a month and a half old and it has stayed the same and now he's two and a half. It's it's always been kind of the same routine, and I think Like, he's always gone down for bed like a dream. Like, even though he would have a lot of night wakings and things like that. And we struggled for different reasons in the first few months with him. And he didn't actually sleep through the night until he was a year old. But he's always been great at going to sleep, like, loves his bedtime. So we would go through his whole routine, put him down in his crib most often, actually. And I hate this term because for most babies, it doesn't work at all. But we would put him down, drowsy but awake, in his crib. And he did not protest at all. He just knew that like, okay, this is the time I sleep. This is where I sleep. I love this. And he's always been great at it. So I do, I feel from experience, um, and from working with families that consistency really is so key and that babies really pick up on routine and they really pick up on, on that, that energy from us, that it's like a slow and loving routine. It's the same every night. They can really count on it. And it doesn't feel like chaotic and rushed and anxious. So I think it's kind of a combination because if you're doing the same routine every night, but you're like rushing through it and you're anxious yeah. about it, then it's not going to be as effective. So I think it really has to be a combination of like your energy and your mood and your flow and having a solid routine.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, we've had a bedtime routine, I think as well, one or two months and mm-hmm. since one or two months and it's definitely putting him to bed. There are nights where he will protest a bit. And, mm-hmm. um, and what we've found actually for putting him to bed is that he needs a space. When we've mm-hmm. gone in and offered more support during that time, it's made it harder mm-hmm. because we've noticed that like he'll we'll go in and he'll, he'll kind of startle. Like we've actually kind of woken him up.
1: Oh, so he was kind of putting himself back down. and then, Yeah. So yeah. he,
0: when he's going to bed initially for naps or bedtime, there might be a little bit of crying, but it's, it's part of his like wind down, you know, and we can mm-hmm. hear the difference in his cry when it elevates to something else and then we'll intervene. Mm-hmm. But that was a big piece for us realizing that he actually needed some of that time and he's great at going down often without crying, just putting himself mm-hmm. down like your son, um. And then it's in the night where it's very different. He responds differently. Right. Like if we give him that time in the night, he's like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, right. like, aren't right, you, you know? going to come get me? <laughs> <Exactly>.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. It's just so interesting to see, you know, how, and everything is a phase. I, I, totally. I keep reminding myself and my husband that like, this is just a season and let's really yeah. enjoy the fact that he wants to be near to us. 100%. Yeah. That's
1: such a good point too. And when I think for a lot of first time moms, at least for me, like it feels like it's going to be forever. Like you're saying to yourself, I am never going to sleep again. My life is over. I'm going to feel this tired forever. My child will never sleep by themselves or they'll never sleep in their own room or they'll never sleep in the crib. Whatever it is, you tell yourself all these stories and they're just not true. Like no kid is going to fifth grade still sleeping in his parents' bed. Or there's other issues. (laughs) Or yeah, or or we need to talk about some other stuff. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, everything is just a season. And I think the phrase like enjoy every moment is so overused because not every part of parenthood is enjoyable, but you know, if you do take into consideration that those baby years and those baby months are so fleeting and you do just take some moments to kind of soak it in and, and to rock your baby to sleep, knowing that you're not going to be able to do that forever and you're someday going to really miss it, even though in the moment you might hate it and resent it. I think it's really a good, just mind shift. To think about it that way, yeah.
0: Well, I was really glad to see we got many questions in from listeners Good. for you. Yeah. So some are more specific than others. So we'll just okay. go through and um, see like what your initial response is to them. So um, okay. there were several around bed sharing. So one was, how do you co-sleep, or how do co-sleeping babies learn to sleep, to link sleep cycles?
1: Okay. So for this, I would have to know the age of the baby. Generally. To link sleep cycles, baby needs to have great sleep associations. So if you are the only sleep association, every time they wake in between cycles, they're going to seek you out. So I would add in other sleep associations. My favorite ones are kind of the classics like dark room, white noise. If they're old enough, they can have like a little lovey or something that they might grab for instead of grabbing for mom.
0: What is old enough Um, in in your mind for that?
1: I would say as long as they're able to kind of roll back and forth in case something, you just never want something to like get stuck underneath them. So for some babies that might be like six or seven months for other babies, it might be closer to a year. I would just see like how mobile they are and how deeply they sleep. Cause if something got stuck, like for my daughter, she's a super light sleeper. So she doesn't use one cause she's just not really into it. But like if something like a blanket or something got stuck on her face, I know it would wake her up and she'd rip it right off. So you just want to be careful about stuff like that. But Yeah. In general, as far as the linking sleep cycles, it's really usually based on, first of all, making sure that they're not overtired. And then second of all, introducing lots of good sleep associations, Um, but not expecting them to link their sleep cycles before they're like five months.
0: And when would you say is when a baby should be sleeping through the night?
1: Oh, it's so different. Like I have friends whose babies started sleeping through the night at like four months. Mm -hmm. And then- my son didn't do it until the week before his
0: first birthday mm-hmm. um, so, but if a kid's like two and not sleeping through the night is that then some other issue going on or yeah
1: exactly because it's it's very normal like we all wake throughout the night it's mm-hmm. more of a question of how well do they put themselves back to sleep mm-hmm. and that's where the sleep associations and the habits start to come in because mm-hmm. You know, whether you're three months old or 30 years old, like you're not sleeping all night without waking a single time. You just don't necessarily remember it. And you've learned to just put yourself right back to sleep and to just go right into that next sleep cycle. So if a two year old is still waking frequently, yes, it's normal. At the same time, you wanna be able to shift whatever sleep association they're using so that they're able to kind of put themselves back to
0: sleep more independently. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that would be something that I would wanna investigate further. Okay. And then someone asked, can you still wean while co-sleeping?
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So it's harder mm-hmm. um, for some people to wean because, you know, you're kind of just on display for baby. And again, I wouldn't suggest uh, weaning until about a year. And this would be a good question to ask if you're working with a lactation consultant um, who specializes more in that. But generally I can say, again, like you could start trying with the first uh, week of the night or the last kind of time they feed in the morning, like that four or 5am one. And you can just offer another way of comfort, like rubbing their back or humming or shushing or patting their butt, something, something different that you're offering. And I even like kind of uh, experiment with my five month old with that sometimes, like I would never deny her a feed because she's still so little, but sometimes like if she's stirring and I'm not sure if she's really trying to latch or she's kind of just grumpy and trying to put herself back down, like I'll just experiment with humming or shushing or, um, you know, rubbing her belly or something like that to see if if she can go back to sleep. And sometimes, sometimes she does.
0: Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At what age can babies sleep between parents with reduced risk?
1: Um, again, it depends on how mobile your baby is. So there are so many different factors that can come into that. Some babies are rolling at four months with no problem. Some are six months, some are older. Some kids have, you know, low tone or other like occupational therapy or physical therapy things that they're working on. So that is like such an individualized question that I couldn't. Would those sleep books
0: help these parents?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So if you, yeah, if you read those safe sleep books that I mentioned before, um, you can probably get a better idea. Generally, I would say after like six
0: months, but that's like a very broad answer. Mm -hmm. What is the ideal timeframe to transition baby from bed sharing to their own room? So Again, it's really individualized based on mm-hmm. your family, but
1: you want to make sure that baby's not going through a sleep regression. Um, and the common sleep progressions happen at four months and then sometimes also at six months, eight months, and 10 months and 12 months. So,
0: <laughs> <Well fun. laughs>
1: yeah, so like um, a lot of parents follow like the wonder weeks or like the developmental leaps. Mm-hmm. Um, so you want to make sure that you're not doing it at like a really sensitive time like that. You never want to do it when you sense that baby is teething um, or getting sick or anything like that. You want to make sure that you've addressed like all of their medical issues. So like if there's a tongue tie or if your baby has any sign of like sleep apneas, like you want to make sure you get all of that stuff set first. And then around nine months, baby often will start to get some separation anxiety. So if you had like a seven month old, for example, and you, you know, you want to do it really soon, I would try to start before that nine month uh, separation anxiety happens. Otherwise you can try and just wait till that you kind of ride that, that storm mm-hmm. um, and do it closer to like 11 months or a year. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. But lots of people do it like for the first couple of years and then maybe they get pregnant with baby number two and start to think about it when, when their older child
0: is more of a toddler age and that's totally fine too. So can this be done, this transition to baby's own crib if it's still in the parent's room or does that make it more challenging? No, that can actually make it a lot easier on the baby, um,
1: especially if they're younger and they don't understand that just because you're not right in front of their face that you still exist. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, you can start with some people like to use one of those sidecar cribs where it um, kind of like attaches and then you can do it super gradually that way because you're still like in very close contact with mom. Eventually, mom starts to shift further and further away from you in the bed, and then you're kind of in that crib, but you're still attached to the bed. And then once you're really rocking at that, you can start to kind of get um, obviously a crib with all four sides and keep the crib in the room, and then eventually moving baby to the crib in their own room. And for that, I would say just making sure that you're spending lots of awake time in the baby's crib and in the baby's room. So that, you know, you're not putting them down somewhere that's totally foreign to them. You want to make sure that you're like creating lots of happy times in that space. So playing lots of games and lots of cuddles and books. And you can maybe do like your whole bedtime routine in baby's new room um, and then still bring them to bed share with you. But, you know, their whole routine has happened in their, in their nursery so that eventually that just feels
0: really natural. hmm Makes sense. Is it bad to always nurse to sleep? No, it's so good. I know this is like one of the myths
1: that drives me nuts um, because it's so natural and it's so normal to nurse to sleep. And the milk that mom makes at night has more melatonin in it. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's just like a natural (laughs) sedative almost for your baby. So I think nursing to sleep is great. I nursed to sleep until my son self weaned at uh, 14 months or so. And it was never an issue. Like he was able to sleep through the night while he was doing that. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think this is a really big misconception: is that you shouldn't nurse to sleep because then baby's going to seek out nursing every for every wake, and that's just not necessarily true. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, I think nursing
0: to sleep is great. And so, another question around that is: do babies naturally grow out of waking to nurse, or is it a habit that you have to wean from? It depends on the baby.
1: My son, for example, went from like one or two night feeds to just dropping them cold turkey. Like one night, he just slept through the night and he did mm. ever since. So some babies are like that where they just naturally drop it. And some babies do that at, you know, six or seven months. Some babies do it at two years old. So it really depends on your baby and it depends on when, you know, in in that span you want to wean. So mm-hmm if baby's like 18 months and you're ready to drop it, um, then you might need to make some more parent-led changes. Otherwise, some babies just, you know, kind of do it on their own in their own
0: time. it's just so interesting to, you know, hearing your responses, how much it's just really dependent on the baby's temperament and Mm -hmm. the family, like what really works for you as a family and what is just past your comfort zone. Exactly. And like the nursing to sleep, for
1: example, like some moms love that. Like for me, that was, you know, once I went back to work, like I missed him so much during the day and the nighttime routine where I nursed him to sleep and it was just so sweet. Like I would have never wanted to give that up. But for another mom, like she might have two other kids that she needs to go make dinner for and she has to work until 10 o'clock and feeding to sleep for 45 minutes is just like not sustainable for her. Mm-hmm. So it really, really just depends on your family and, and kind of what your, your needs at the time are. Yeah.
0: Um, my baby won't sleep out of the house. How can I get my baby to be more flexible to nap on the go? Mm, this is a good one.
1: Um, so some babies, it depends on how old the baby is. I guess I would need to know the age. This baby was more 12 months, 12 months. Oh, okay. So I would say for a 12 month old baby wearing might start to get kind of hard because they're getting heavier. But for just so that we can answer generally. For younger babies, I would suggest baby wearing because a lot of young babies don't like strollers and car seats. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not super comfortable. So if you want baby to be able to nap while you're on a walk or, or something like that, I would suggest baby wearing, investing in a really good carrier or sling. Um, and then for an older baby, if they have sleep associations that you use at home, you can start to kind of bring those either in the car or um, in the stroller like we bring our noise machine we have a portable noise machine and we always bring it in the car because um, my daughter she's still young but she absolutely hates her car seat so we have to kind of time our outings so that she's exactly at the end of her wake window because then she'll kind of get in the car and once we turn on the, the white noise she'll pass right out but otherwise she'll scream like bloody murder the entire car ride so I would add in some sleep associations. If your child has like a pacifier or a blankie or a special something that they use to go to sleep, you can bring that with you. Um, And then timing with the wake window. So making sure that they're going to be sleepy enough um, where they're not getting bored or restless and Mm -hmm. then not too tired where they're going to be overtired. And if, if you're talking about traveling or going out like to a friend's house or to a family member's house and you want baby to be able to nap in a different spot, like a pack and play or something like that, I would start with introducing that at your house. So having a pack and play set up wherever baby normally sleeps and you can even try doing some naps in there or just letting them play in there so that they're kind of starting to get used to it. Mm -hmm. Um, And it really just takes practice, honestly. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Is a set bedtime more important for babies versus paying attention to wake windows?
1: Mm, Good question. Um, I would say a combination because every day is going to be different. So like if you have a set bedtime of 7 p.m. but you had to go somewhere that day and your kid fell asleep in the car at five, you know, you're going to want to, depending on how how old they are and what their wake window is, but my point is just that if baby's taking a really late nap or skipped their last nap, you're going to want to adjust for the wake window more so than the bedtime. I would not be a stickler for bedtime. I would more so focus on the wake window so that you're not getting an
0: overtired baby. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, how do you lengthen naps? Oh, another, and question. how, and, and when questions. do you know, when, when do you know it's time to drop a nap?
1: Okay. So I'll talk about that part first. Cause it kind of goes into how to lengthen them. So the major signs for baby dropping a nap would be really early rising, fighting bedtime, like not seeming tired at bedtime, um, so you, you'll start to notice like over a few nights, bedtime kind of seems like it's getting later and later, or they're skipping their last nap of the day. Like getting that last nap is really, really difficult. Lots of times when you do go through a nap transition, like when baby's going from three naps to two naps or from two to one, um, lots of times the naps will consolidate and they'll just naturally get longer. So like a baby going from three naps to two naps might get two like up to two hour naps like really nice chunky naps. And then another way to lengthen naps if they're not going through a transition would be um, adding in the things like the sleep association. So sometimes, for example, like if your baby's going to sleep in the crib and they wake up at the 30 minute mark, they still seem tired. You can do what's called kind of like a nap rescue where you go in and you you know shush them or pat them. You kind of move up this ladder of intervention. So if that doesn't work, you might pick them up you might kind of rock them or sway them moving up the ladder still. Like if they're still really upset and want to go back to sleep, you might nurse them again and and let them finish their nap on you because that contact is really, really going to help extend the nap. So if you're able and if you enjoy it, contact naps are great for getting longer naps. So either wearing baby or laying down with baby or holding her, those things usually lead to a longer nap than if you just put the baby down in a crib. Mm
0: -hmm. Is there anything you would suggest for helping a light sleeper become a deeper sleeper?
1: Mm. Aside from making sure that there's nothing in the environment that's going to wake them up. So I would have a very dark room and I would have pretty loud white noise. Make sure that they're, you know, dressed appropriately and and are in a good temperature where they're not going to get too cold or overheat. It's really just... (laughs) some kids are light sleepers and some mm-hmm. are deep sleepers. Yeah. And just like adults, like I am a super deep sleeper. Well, not since I became a mom, but it used to be where like, I would literally sleep through a fire alarm. Yeah. Um, and you know, some people wake up at the tiniest little thing. So babies are the same way. They're just little people. So yeah. some of them are just naturally light sleepers. I'm sorry.
0: Yeah, it's true. <laughs> Do you have any tips for getting a baby to sleep in a social environment? Maybe that would be similar to what you said about napping on the go, the white noise.
1: Yeah. Um, baby wearing white noise. Mm -hmm. Like my daughter is a pretty light sleeper, but if we're like hanging around family and stuff and I, if I don't want to like miss out and go like spend the, however long it's going to take to get her down, I'll just kind of pop her in the carrier. And sometimes I'll even carry around my white noise machine, like right by her head. (laughs) And she'll eventually pass out like just from, you know, the closeness and, and the white noise and I'll like sway back and forth or walk around. So, like, if you're going to a party or something like that, I would suggest baby wearing if you can. Yeah. 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 That's great. What
0: are your thoughts on waking a sleeping baby?
1: Well, it depends. So, generally, especially for young babies, like, babies under six months or so, I generally would say, like, let them sleep. Um, if you're getting to the point where it's going to start interfering with bedtime or with your next nap, I would cap it. Because if baby's gonna, if baby is getting too much daytime sleep, it could lead to more night waking. Just like mm-hmm. overtiredness can lead to lots of night waking, too much day sleep can also lead lead to that. And my son is like this; like he still will sleep for three hours if we let him, and like we have to wake him up. He's two and a half. We have to wake him up from a three hour nap. So some kids like that are just super high sleep total kids, and you're gonna just have to wake them up at a certain point. So it really kind of depends on like the baby's age and how much how much sleep they, they need throughout the day. Cause it's such a varying range. There's like one kid could need 18 hours of sleep within 24 hours and another kid could need 10. So there's like such a huge, it's like an eight hour range of differing, differing sleep totals for depending on the kid. But yeah, my general rule would say would be let them sleep unless it's going to interfere with a nap or bedtime.
0: Great. Last yeah. listener question. My baby My baby sleeps on his stomach and occasionally sleeps with his mouth open, but not consistently. Is this cause for concern?
1: Oh, this is a really good one. Okay. So first I will talk about the belly sleeping. Um, So you definitely want to make sure baby's not swaddled if they're rolling over to their belly. That's the number one thing. So Mm -hmm. once you notice that they're rolling, even if they're not rolling in the night, if you notice that during the day, during tummy time, they're starting to roll onto their side, or they're starting to roll from belly to back or back to belly, you want to take that swaddle away. Um, They need their hands to be able to to flip themselves back over. But a lot of times when they can roll in one direction, they can't necessarily roll themselves back over yet. Usually one comes first. So a lot of times what happens is baby will start out on their back. They'll learn how to kind of roll onto their tummy and then they get stuck and they get frustrated because they can't yet do the belly to back. Mm -hmm. Um, So this does happen a lot and it usually does take a couple of weeks for baby to figure it out. So that can be like a really frustrating two week or three week period for parents because they do just have to kind of go in and roll them back over. If you're comfortable with with your baby being on their tummy, like if they're in bed with you and you know that you're going to wake up if something happens, then you can kind of let them sleep on their stomach and see how it goes. My son was a stomach sleeper. He still is. So around maybe eight or nine months he started sleeping on his tummy and we stopped moving him um and he would sleep the whole night on his stomach so that's really kind of like a personal choice as long as you know that like it's an increased SIDS risk if baby's on their belly because it's an increased suffocation risk so a lot of the mattresses now like the crib mattresses are super breathable and if you have like a really breathable sheet and you don't have any bumpers on your crib and you don't have any pillows or animals in there like that That baby could um, stick their face in and and not be able to breathe, I think it's fine. And then the second part of the question was the mouth breathing. So that I would definitely want to investigate further. So mouth breathing can be a couple of different things, but the most common and the most likely is that it's a tongue and or a lip tie. So I'd wanna get that checked out with either a pediatric dentist that specializes in tongue ties or an ENT, or both. Mouth breathing can cause lots of night waking, um, and it can also, um, it's just really not good for a baby's brain. You need that oxygen to get to the brain, especially when you're sleeping, and it gets in there through the nose. So mouth breathing would definitely be a, a big cause for concern for me, so I'd want to definitely look into that. With and what's an, what's an ENT? Um, ear, nose, and throat doctor. Okay, great. Yeah, yeah so your, your pediatrician can refer you. Lots of times pediatricians will um, kind of brush off the tongue tie thing. So hmm. if, if you're voicing your concern and they're saying, if they're checking your baby's mouth and they say that they don't see one or they say that it's not severe enough, I would seek out a pediatric dentist or even a lactation consultant um, sometimes can see them. But again, like I was misdiagnosed twice by lactation consultants
0: hmm.
1: and pediatricians. So it's just not their area of expertise. So interesting. Yeah, so I'd make sure you see someone who specializes in that because you want to get that addressed sooner than later. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I saw your story about going through that with your daughter recently, Mm -hmm. right? Yep, we did hers. We actually did my son's when he was two weeks old, and my daughter was about three months. And yeah, so usually if it's a tongue tie, there will be some other symptoms present as well, like head and neck or shoulder tightness. Um, Breastfeeding problems are probably the most common. So there's definitely other symptoms that could be present, but the mouth breathing would be like one of the biggest, um, the biggest ones you want babies' mouth to be sealed and you want their tongue to be touching the roof of their mouth when they sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, so if they're not able to do one or both of those things, then they're not getting really quality rest.
0: Is that same for us as adults? Mm-hmm.
1: Interesting. Yeah. So like mouth breathing and snoring as adults is so normalized, but it's really, really
0: unhealthy. Wow.
1: Interesting.
0: Yeah. I think I with yeah. my mouth open. Okay, I'll
1: explore. That. I know, I do too. And my husband snores <laughs> sometimes, so I'm like, we do. When all of this like COVID stuff is over, we need to get ourselves into the ENTs. And like, dentists are starting, not starting, but I'm seeing it become more common that adults are getting tongue tie snips. Wow. Tongue tie releases. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it's definitely becoming more of a thing. I think it's just people are more aware of it.
0: Yeah. Oh. Do you, Do you think it's that the awareness or that we're having more tongue ties?
1: No, that would be a really good, good question. I can't imagine that we're like, evolved to have more tongue ties all of a sudden. So I think, I think it's probably just more awareness. Yeah. And, you know, all these different industries are popping up, like with lactation consulting and sleep consulting and these people that are kind of trained to look out for this stuff. So I think it's just getting caught a lot more. hmm. Okay.
0: So in ending, do you have any other books or podcasts or Instagram accounts that you'd recommend people follow if they want more support, of course, other than yours? Yeah.
1: So one of my favorite books for parents of young children, toddlers, preschoolers, but even if you just want to read it to prepare for when your baby gets a little bit older, my favorite book right now is Rest, Play, Grow by Deborah and McNamara. Um, It's an amazing book about parenting toddlers and preschoolers. And it's just that one book alone has like completely transformed the way we parent my son. So that's a really good one. The co-sleeping books that I talked about were safe infant sleep by James McKenna and sweet sleep by La Leche league. And then as far as podcasts, I do have a couple really good podcasts that I like. One is called unruffled um, by Janet Lansbury. And another one is called motherhood sessions. Those are both really good. And then for Instagram accounts, Mine is Hey Sleepy Baby. And then um, if you go to my page, I have different highlight reels on different topics. And um, in most of those, I have recommendations for other accounts that I really like to follow that I'm not necessarily an expert in. I kind of like to stay in my lane and I like to share like a variety of content, but I don't want to claim to be an expert on like baby led weaning. So um, like if you go to my um, page, I'll have like a whole highlight about starting solids and then I'll give a bunch of recommendations for great accounts for following baby led weaning and feeding your baby solids or, um, you know, for parenting toddlers, I really like big little feelings. Their Instagram account is great. So, yeah. So I think as far as my Instagram recommendations, I would just go to my page and look through my
0: highlights and I have a lot of good ones saved on there. Perfect. And I'll link all of those in the show notes. Awesome. So one thing in ending one last question what is something that you hope the next generation of children will experience in their lifetime? I hope that
1: this next generation of kids, the kids that we are raising right now will be able to feel and express the wide range of their emotions. I think that the way a lot of us were parented and definitely the way that our parents were parented were to kind of like stifle down what they might consider negative feelings and distract from their negative feelings. And especially for boys, um, I know you're a boy mom too, and it breaks my heart that that boys and used to, and even still do um, get discouraged from crying and from expressing themselves. So I think for me, it's just really important to be raising like emotionally intelligent and um, empathetic kids, so yeah. And I think sleep sleep can be a big part of that because that's when you can kind of start to show your child that like you're gonna be there for them and you're gonna support them in their
0: feelings and and all of that. So Yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking this time. We mm-hmm. covered a lot of ground. So I really you're appreciate it. Great questions. I appreciate your listeners sending those in. Yeah, they were good. Well, hopefully yeah. that's helpful to everybody and thank you for this time. Thank you.